Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Have you been moved by a piece of art or experienced something of the beauty of God through music or dance? Or have you wondered why some Christian art can sometimes feel a little cringy? John Franklin leads Imago, an organization that supports Christians in the arts in Canada. He has great insight to share on why art matters so much and how churches and individuals can help nurture the artists. I'm Karen Stiller, and as you listen to this podcast, maybe keep in mind a quote from Makoto Fujimura from his book, Art and Faith, A Theology of Making. Here it is. Before the fall, we were all artists and poets. John, for the for our listeners who might not be aware of the work of Imago, give us a bird's eye view of what you guys do. Well, I will just say, Karen, a little bit about uh, Imago's history. It was founded actually in 1972. So if you do the math, you'll know that 2022 will be its 50th anniversary. Nice. And it was founded by Wilbur Sutherland, who was the head of university uh, in Canada for a number of years. Mm. I've been with Imago s- since uh, 1998. What we do, and certainly with my sojourn with Imago, the focus has been on the arts. There was always an arts presence from its very beginning, but since 1998, the focus has been exclusively on the arts. So the main thing that we do is adopt projects. So if an artist, a Christian artist, wants to create a CD, launch a theater company, publish a book of poetry, or whatever it may be, they can come to us and uh, have their work considered. And if we adopt the project, then they have the benefit of charitable status. Okay. We're not a funding organization, but we're an organization that facilitates. So we help the artist go from A to B and to, to get the advantage of charitable status. And so what occurs to me right away, John, is uh, like these two sort of main maybe problems you're trying to solve or challenges, one being quality. I presume you're only taking on artists who are really good and B, funding, making it able, making them able to do their really good work. Yes, that's true. I mean, we do have a, uh, what shall I say, a standard. Every project that comes through, I have to see it first, and then we send it for peer review, and then the board has to approve it. And we certainly do have a, a, a standard. We, we look for uh, high caliber artistry. It's often said that if Christians are doing art, it's going to be, well, schmaltzy, mediocre, not right. very good. But uh, I have had people come to uh, Imago Evenings, and in an effort to be complimentary, they say, well, when I came to this, I thought it would be good, but I had no idea it would be this good. And I, I, that's gratifying because we, we choose artists who are just excellent. So that's the one issue. And the other, of course, is the funding. That's always a challenge, as you know. Mm-hmm. But often these these uh, artists are able to find the funding through uh, connections that they have and connections that we help to provide for them. And we give them some public profile as well, which may help to draw people who are interested and are willing to fund them. Okay, you, you used the uh, important word schmaltzy, <laughs> which I would love to dive into a little bit. I did have uh, that sort of note it down with, I didn't use that word, but why does Christian art have that reputation sometimes? And I've been guilty of thinking that with Christian fiction sometimes. And I know there's like brilliant, fantastic, amazing Christian literature, not just in our history, but you know, contemporary writers as well. But we still have this 
even within the family of faith, we get a little sinking feeling in our stomach, sometimes worrying about quality. Why is that? Well, I think what happens sometimes is that Christian artists feel that their art has to serve a particular end. Okay. And so they're so busy trying to make it fit, be acceptable, be Christian, that they lose a creative edge. And then it becomes, well, even kitschy, we sometimes say, uh, and sentimental. Mm-hmm. And I remember a young poet coming to me and saying that he was he was fearful in writing his poetry that he might say something that's unorthodox. I have to get it right, he said. I have to get it right. And I think what really needs to happen is that the artist gets it real. Good artists are truth tellers, that they must get it real, whether it's darkness or whether it's light or whatever it may be. Getting it right isn't the point, it seems to me. But within the Christian community, there is this sort of pressure to get it right. And I think it ends up skewing the the creative process in some way. Let me just make one other comment about that. This to me is very important, and I I won't tell the story as to how I came up with this, but there was a situation that led me to this conclusion. I think that Christians too often think of themselves first and foremost as Christians, and that's a problem. We are first and foremost human beings, and we have to let our art be human rather than trying to make it look Christian or have a Christian label or be Christian-like. And that's really important for the artists, I think. It's not that we in any way disparage our faith. It's just that it, it can get in the way sometimes in terms of our human creativity, which, of course, is a God-given gift. Yeah, John, I, I couldn't agree more. And in my writing life, if I'm working with Christian writers, I just say, do not write on mission. Put your mission away. And just write and see what comes out and create beautiful, beautiful, artful writing. And in fact, if you were worried about, you know, doing an orthodoxy check or a theological accuracy filter, you can actually still do that just much further down the road. Yes, I think that's right, Karen. I think we've all been moved by a piece of music, for example, I think it's easier sometimes for receivers of art, if I can use that term, to quickly name music as a form of art that moves them. I mean, we can be moved to tears and worship, for example, by a beautiful piece of music. But when we talk about visual art or written art like poetry and and so on, people aren't as likely, I don't think, to name that as something that moves them, but of course it does. Can you just speak to us about how different forms of art touch us? Well, I I think uh, one form of art that that many people find deeply moving is dance because it's so embodied. And when you see someone dancing, I mean, it can move you to tears. Uh, There's an art historian, contemporary art historian, James Elkins. He wrote a book called Pictures and Tears. And it it used to be the case years ago that people would, well, cry at concerts or in front of artwork as well. But our culture is such that we're really not allowed to express that kind of emotion. I mean, it's unwritten, of course, it's implicit, but don't be too emotional. And I think that's inhibited us a lot. You know the story of how Henry Nouwen sat in front of the uh, Rembrandt's Prodigal Son for days and days and days and was deeply moved by it. Uh, there, there are many examples of that kind of thing. There is a, a place in Houston called the Rothko Chapel. And Rothko is a 20th century um, artist, uh, came from Europe and went to New York, and he does abstract work. 
And uh, Elkins, in his Pictures and Tears, says he thinks more people have wept in front of a Ro Rothko paintings than any other artist in the 20th century. Now, I, I, people who want to look can go and have a look online, but Rothko's paintings are just big, dark canvases. But sometime, somehow it becomes a portal to the transcendent, to mystery, to pain, to darkness, and it becomes deeply moving. So I think we've got to give ourselves some permission for that. And I do think that whether it's visual art or, or music uh, or poetry, we need to be open to be moved by it. Art, well done, should put us also in a posture of receptivity. And that's where it becomes a little bit like faith. It's not something that you manage or control. It's something you receive. And therefore... The, the big C church and local congregations, uh, you would think we would be just falling over ourselves to embrace <laughs> the arts then. You would, you would. But I, I think, unfortunately, we've tended to intellectualize our faith. And the other thing that we've done is disembody our spirituality. And of course, art is very sensual. And many people get a little bit concerned. The other thing about art is that it can take on a life of its own. And in our faith communities, we often want to make sure we can manage this. And so we ask, what exactly does this mean? Where is this going? And if we, if we can't get an answer to that, we become suspicious or fearful. And so I think that's also inhibited the presence of art in, in some of our faith communities. We've got to be open to be receptive to the art and not just come at it with a, a sense of suspicion. Yeah, or fear. Um, fear, yeah. When you talked about it being embodied and, and disembodiment, can you explain more about that? Yeah, our, our spirituality is, is, is often about, well, freeing ourselves from the sensual. Spirituality is, is about the spirit, right? It's not about the body. That, that's what we tend to think. So our understanding of spirituality takes us out of the body because the body's bad. Well, not so, of course, in the biblical narrative, but we have bought into that in a considerable way. And I think then when it comes to the arts, we see that it's sensual. Dance is sensual, theater can be, visual art can be, music, of course. Music we accept more readily, I know. And so I think we say, look, this is not, this is not spiritual. This is taking us a direction we shouldn't be going. And I think that that's really unfortunate because, because our, well, the new, the new creation, that time when all things will be made new. And by the way, I think all art is, is, a, is a small gesture to express that, that the time is coming when all things will be made new. And when all things are made new, it's going to be transformed to be sure, but a real world, a physical world, not just disembodied spirits. So I think we need, we need to shift away from that to a different way of understanding. John, I hear the word making a lot now, and I've used it myself because I, I think it's cool to talk, <laughs> to talk yeah. about that. But what that's done for me, it's expanded my definition, I think, of what art creating looks like, or even just what maybe creativity, what creativity is in a person. Can you talk about that for a minute? Because I think some people think, well, I'm not creative, or she's an artist, I'm not an artist. But we do all make things all the time, right? Yeah, well, at, at the heart of artistry and art making or, or making period is imagination. And that too is, is a great gift from God that we, we have this capacity to imagine. And I would agree that, that making is something that we all do. So we are inherently 
creators, in quotes, not the way God is a creator, but we are inherently creators. And it's interesting that Scripture begins with creation in the beginning, God created, and it ends with that in Revelation, the promise of a new creation. So bookending the entire biblical narrative is creation, creation. And, and why wouldn't those of us who bear the image of God have some special capacities to create? And I think simple making is, is one of the ways we do that. And we, we, we shouldn't sort of let the artists own it all, right? Because uh, the artists have some special gifts to be sure. But we all have this capacity to create. We all have the capacity to be creative. I've noticed that when you invite, in this case, it was in mission context, you invite people to come to a, a session on the arts. They think it's just for artists and not so. This is for anyone because we need to infuse all that we do with this imaginative, creative resource that we have as human beings. And when you talk about making like that, it elevates a lot of our daily activities, I think. Like as you were speaking, I was yeah. thinking, yeah, so when I make a cake, yeah. <laughs> there's if if I'm viewing that as an artistic or creative, creative act, uh, that is, you know, honoring to God if I'm yes. thinking of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, the cultural mandate is for us to go out there and, and to make things. And, and uh, we, we are always cobbling things together, whether you cobble together a cake or whether you cobble together an institution or, whether you, or a building or whatever it may be. We're always trying to cobble things together. And I, I think that's it's one of the wonderful things about humanity. And I think it's, it's, it's one of the ways we get a glimpse into the promise that there will be one day everything is going to be made new. We keep yeah. being reminded of that if we're attuned. Mm -hmm. We can be reminded through ordinary making that uh, one day all things will be made new. Can you tell me about the sort of theology of using the term co-creating with God? Like I've heard some artists say, I'm, I'm a co-creator, you're a co-creator. And then I've heard a theologian say, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> Do you have thoughts on that? I know it's yeah. a huge question. Yeah, the, the co-creator, I think, comes from Tolkien. Uh, and and the, the not liking it is, is in part, some would argue that what God has done is creation ex nihilo, and that we're not creators. Well, we're makers. That's another way to say it, so that we're not sort of comparing ourselves directly with God. I think that's one of the concerns. Uh, so I, I, I think certainly what we do is, is extend the created order. I mean, in, in a way, that's, that's what we do. God makes the world, and then we're invited to be makers as well. So in that very limited sense, we, we are co-creators. We, we, we continue to do the creative uh, and innovative things that we do as human beings because we bear the image of God and have the gift of creativity. Yeah. How do you encourage... I mean, I know you know a lot of artists, obviously accomplished, you know, yeah. artists. But when you meet someone who would say, "Well, I'm not an artist or I'm not creative," how do you encourage those people to kind of claim their identity as a creative maker and just try some stuff? Well, I do. I, I do. I remember years ago, I, I had some some people do a collage. And all you have to do is cut little pieces out of out of the uh, magazines or whatever. And, and I said, when you do the collage, tell your story in some way. And then they did their collage and then they they take the collage and they tell their story. I mean, it's a very simple exercise. So that would be that would be one example. 
I think people just need to recognize that as image bearers of God, we do have special abilities and we, we ought not to be comparing ourselves all the time with the really good artists, right? Yeah. Well, I could never measure up to that gift. And so we try to do things that are within our own capacity, but we should not disparage the capacity we have, I guess is, is what I would say. Yeah, I think that's really important because as soon as you said collage, I thought right away of this Instagram collage artist I follow who creates incredible, beautifully, you know, works of art that are, and I, I collage like a child in grade two, but it's fun. It's it, fun it is. to do it. And if you do it and seek to tell something of a story and then you can go through it, it is actually can be very deeply moving. We were talking about being moved and emotional. I mean, even to do that and then tell the story, it's, it can be very moving and it's very yeah. simple. And it can be just for us too. Like yes, it not can, of course. Yeah, of not course. everything we make has to be for everyone else. I can eat the whole cake that I bake. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> not a bad idea. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about how churches can encourage and you know nurture artists within their midst, or even just welcome other artists in. Like our church in Ottawa has an art gallery in the lobby. Very simple transformation of space, but it's really fun and cool. What other things can churches do? Let, let me just say, before I comment on that, is to say that in, in many communities, there needs to be a bit of a shift in terms of our, our theological understanding, so that we're willing to embrace the arts at some level, right? Because often there's a resistance to it. Why would you use church space for an art gallery, for goodness sakes, you know? Um, or why would you have a poetry reading after the service? or even have someone reported during the service. So I think there's a need for some theological, I don't know what how to describe it, but but upgrading or something or renovating so that we see that the aesthetic side of life is deeply important and we've neglected it. So then bringing art into the church, well, I think one place of course is in liturgy. And frankly, it's already there in, in the mainline churches. And I think in those that are not liturgical churches as such, they still have their, their liturgies. So I think bringing art into the liturgy, a moment with visual art or with poetry um, or, or, or drama, a brief drama um, to, to perhaps underline, highlight something that's said in a sermon. That can be very, very valuable. But then I think also is inviting the artists within the community to have the freedom to do their art and to welcome them. Artists often feel very inhibited in our church context. They're afraid because if people know I do that, they're going to say, why isn't it more Christian or why isn't it this or why isn't it that? And so they feel uncomfortable. But if, if the leadership in a church says welcome in whatever ways they, they wish to say that, uh, we have the art gallery, or we're going to have a poetry reading afterwards, or we're going to have, we're going to interview artists at our special service or whatever. I would say also maybe having an art Sunday a couple of times a year. And if you have the space either inside or outside, have a, an arts weekend. Invite local artists to participate in it who are not necessarily believers to, to come and participate. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, uh, Karen, but uh, those are the kinds of things I think the church can do. But we really have to, first of all, see this is important as part yeah. of our humanity and part of our calling as Christians. And how about as individual people? And I'll, uh, let me give you a little 
mini background, like just this week, I posted on Facebook (laughs) a picture of some beautiful greeting cards that I had purchased from a young artist in my city um, instead of buying, you know, a box of cards at the store and could they cost a little more? Sure. Um, And so I had to think about it, but they're so lovely and hand-painted and, you know, beautiful to touch and all those things. And I, and I sort of pledged within myself. Now I may not keep this pledge because I am a cheap person (laughs) that I would try very hard to buy those cards from now on and, you know, support her and then give people something lovely and handmade and unique. Speak to that, to what we can do just as individuals. Well, I I do think the artists, many artists, need patrons. Mm -hmm. They need people who are willing to say, look, I'd like to buy one of your works. I can only afford some of the smaller ones, but I'd like to buy one of your works. Uh, That's one of the things that you can do for the artists. Um, I mean, not all artists need that kind of payment. For example, it's a poet. Although if they publish a book of poetry, you could buy their book of poetry. But even to, to hear them and say, I'd like to hear you, you, you read your poetry, or I'll host an evening at my place where you can come and you can read your poetry and talk to us about the creative process and why you write what you write and, and what, what happens when you do that and how is it linked with your faith and so on. So I, I, think, I think embracing the arts and the artists in that way is both very encouraging to the artists and I think very enriching to our, our, our lives and indeed the life of the church if we do it in a faith community. John, I love that. I'd, I'd like to hear, to, to be able to, to say to a poet, I'd like to hear and to say to an artist, I'd like to see. I mean, yeah. just those simple words and acts would, you know, for me as a writer, I would, I'd be so touched. I would feel so valued. And and what what we don't understand, I, I think, often is is how isolated artists often feel. Uh, I, I had a gathering at our home some years ago, and there were about uh, fifteen visual artists, and we were having a conversation around the show at the Art Gallery of Ontario. And one of them, uh, one of the artists, said, "You know, I've been doing my art for over thirty years. This is the first time I've been in a group where I could speak freely about my faith and my art." Wow. It just doesn't happen. And yet it's so simple. One of the things that Imago does, in addition to having projects, as I mentioned earlier, is that uh, my wife and I have hosted soirees in, in our home. And, and we jam in 30, 35 people and serve a dinner. And, and then there's a, a special guest artist that talks about their paintings, reads their poetry, um, talks about the play they're writing, or whatever it may be. And, and it's, it's so encouraging for everyone the 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 non-artist to be so have this opportunity to engage with an artist is exciting and for the artist to hear affirmation from the community is is hugely encouraging i love that idea and i'm going to steal that idea you can have it (laughs) thank you i love it yeah John, tell us as we wrap up about crossings. I know you have a special show that's happening in Lent, which is Toronto specific, but yes. uh, tell us about it. And if people maybe have the chance to view it online or. Well, I, I will say uh, this crossings exhibition that we're doing is part of an international series. The first was done in 2016 in London. Then it went to Washington, New York, Amsterdam, and it's, and then it was online last year. Each exhibition is different. So what we're doing is different than what others have done. 
We've commissioned uh, artists, Christian artists in Canada, to do a work in response to the scriptural stations of the cross, which are a little bit different than the traditional stations. And what we're going to do is we're placing these works on the university campus at theological colleges and also at five churches up near Young and St. Clair in Toronto. And the opportunity will be there for a pilgrimage, if anyone wishes to do it, uh, to pray the stations. And I want to say, Karen, this is not an exhibition just for the devotee. The passion narrative is a deeply human story. It's about unjust judgment. It's about suffering. It's about vulnerability. It's about becoming a victim because of the powers that be, and so, so many other things that are somehow familiar in our culture. So I think it's a deeply human story, and whether it's a person of faith or a person who's simply curious about the art or a person in quest of a spiritual experience, this is something that they could come to and I think benefit from greatly. So it uh, takes place beginning on March 2nd in 2022 and goes through to April 14th. It's a case of bringing faith into the public square in some way, I think, which is uh, uh, a little unusual these days. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. And for those of us who aren't in the Toronto area, we can be inspired by the idea and the example of that, of doing yeah. just what you said, bringing faith into the public square via art. I mean, what yeah. could be better? Yeah, it's, uh, art's a great buffer so that, you know, you, you're not getting it sort of directly, but you're getting it in indirectly. Again, it's, it, the link is our humanity. That's, that's the link, uh, which I think is so significant. John, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.